Welcome to episode 10 of the Capital Marketer Podcast presented by the American Marketing Association, New York Capital Region Chapter. I'm Blaze Bryant. We hope all is well with you as we have a very exciting episode here. This is a special one. We have an uninterrupted one-hour panel about re-engaging and reconnecting the future shape of marketing, which was part of the Re-Engage and Reconnect the Future Shape of Marketing 2020 Summit. The panelists are Russ Klein, CEO of the American Marketing Association, the entire organization based in Chicago. Alan Gannett, who is founder and CEO of TrackMate, which is a marketing analytics company. Ray Brescia, who is the Harold R. Tyler Chair of Technology and Law at Albany Law School. Bob Cargill, president of AMA Boston, and Rohit Bargaba, who is the founder of the Non-Obvious Company. The panel was moderated by our very own Will Trevor, president of AMA New York Capital Region. In a time of pandemic, when we talk about essential workers and non-essential workers, we who, who work in, in marketing... Um, you know, are, is what we do essential? There's, there's, there's people saving lives. There's, uh, there's, there's people being made unemployed. Is what we do essential? Rohit, do you want to take that one first? Uh, you know, this is probably a leading question. I mean, we all want to believe we're essential. Uh, I think what, one of the things we talked about when we were sharing it is maybe that's not the best question. Like maybe a better question is, how, are we indispensable? Like, are we, are we necessary in this, in this way? And, and I think that that is something that we can choose to do. Like we can choose to make ourselves irrelevant or we can choose to make ourselves necessary. Um, as an industry, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, not every restaurant is essential. Not every grocery store is essential either because we can get stuff from various places. So I think the personal question for each of us is like, how do we make ourselves indispensable? Okay. Um, Russ. Um, question to you, the Chief Executive of the American Marketing Association. Uh, uh, our marketers, uh, are we essential or, or indispensable, as, uh, as Rohit says? Uh, oh, well, it's interesting. The, the AMA vision statement is actually to uh, become the essential community for marketers. So uh, that may uh, feel like an aspirational and uh, lofty a vision, but uh, uh, we stated unapologetically, uh, Rajesh Shandy, uh, while accepting an award and uh, was a distinguished academic uh, uh, in London a few years ago, in his uh, acceptance speech, basically said, uh, you know, we, we may not, uh, you know, cure cancer and, and, and uh, uh, perform other kinds of heroic uh, and conspicuous deeds, but... Uh, Marketing is essential as a catalyst for commerce and as really a very small fraction of the GDP um, has an outsized uh, influence on uh, growth, which is uh, important for uh, broadening and widening prosperity and quality of life. Uh, as, you know, whether marketing is, is acquitting itself of that uh, aspiration as nobly as is you know we should be I think in certain places we are in, in other places we're not we've done certainly things over the years to give the the discipline a bad name you've heard me speak on on this but 
I, uh, I think that um, uh, our ability to play critical role uh, in communicating and inspiring, often educating any, the whole spectrum of, you know, types of communication is uh, in the realm of what, we, uh, what our expertise should be. Okay. Thank you, Russ. Bob, same question to you. Uh, yeah. You're, you're, a, you're a practitioner. You're, you're in the thick of it each and every day. Are, are, are we essential? In, I, I believe we are not to compare us in any way to, to first responders and healthcare workers. Uh, you know, they're, they're the heroes right, right now. But um, in general, you know, I always say everybody is marketing something. And I tell my students, you know, whether you're going to become a professional marketer or not, you're still going to be marketing on behalf of the, your employer, the company or the organization. So, you know, we're, we're spokespeople. And, and again, everybody represents an organization, an entity, a uh, family, uh, AMA chapter. And, and we're marketing just by being out there. And if we're talking about specifically during the pandemic, I think I said this in my presentation, we, we marketers, I feel, should be more visible than ever right now putting out different messages, but, but messages, being spokespeople for, for you know, being agents, agents for, for the clients and, and companies we represent. So, so again, not at all to go close to comparing to essential workers, the, the formal definition of that. But in general, I think marketing absolutely is essential. And I think Russ just said it, it it's necessary to commerce. It leads to sales and sales is our economy. Well, I, if I could just insert, I, you know, I, I just, again, it sounds like I'm on a high horse, but I've never taken a job in my life that I didn't think the work was noble. Uh, whether it was working at a laundromat in high school, I, you know, I thought I was doing something for somebody. I was committed to it. Um, and, you know, of course, there are more heroic, you know, uh, pictures of, uh, of, of workers, but I think it's arrogant to, to, you know, I don't think any of the first responders, the responders would would necessarily put themselves above the rest of us who are trying to, you know, apply our trade. Um, so, again, I guess I'm a little bit unapologetic about uh, our relevance and our our contributions. Russ, you should be as the CEO. So I applaud <laughs> your your emphasizing the uh, essentialness, the indispensability of, of marketing. If I can jump in a little bit, um, I think, you know, since, since we started sort of gathering around fires uh, in, in, in the woods, you know, we've needed sense makers. We've, need, we've needed storytellers. We've needed people who could bring together what Harari calls the mythical glue, you know, to, to, and that's what makes us human, um, sort of connects us to you know, making sense of what's happening to us and brings us together to, to, to think about a vision for the future that's better than the present. Um, I, you know, people in communications, that's, what's, that's what you do, I think. Uh, and as a former community organizer, now as an educator, as a lawyer, uh, you know, I have a role of, of making sense of, uh, you know, what sometimes may seem senseless um, but always with the idea that we can take that story 
and write a new story for the future. And I, I think that that's sort of at the essence of communications. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong about that as an outsider looking in. We should add to Raymond's point, Will, that, that uh, you know, uh, one of the, you've heard me say that marketers are addicted to storytelling and, uh, and, and storytelling is important, but it is an addiction right now that, and it's responsible for pigeonholing marketers as the people who do only the ads. When in fact, you know, a broad gauge marketer is involved in innovation and solutions. And that's where I suppose I, I you know, I take a stand on our, the nobility of the profession because we're responsible for the next great thing. It could be a piece of hospital equipment, you know, and uh, that's, you know, I think we need to remember the full wingspan of marketing. One of the things that, that I've, I've heard you talk about on a number of occasions, Russ, is, is the, the, the fact that marketing is, is perhaps a little too obsessed with storytelling, whereas the, the, the real focus should be around the experience and, and the experience to the power of storytelling. So storytelling, you know, being mobilized to, to, to create meaningful experiences. Can, can you tell us how you think the uh, the pandemic has changed the nature of the experience. I mean, uh, in in higher education, we're thinking about how do we uh, de-densify the, the the classroom. Um, institutions that have been face to face, big brands like Harvard, trying to work out how they um, they they start to deliver online and perhaps not give the experience that people are paying to go for. Um, you know, how, how how is the nature of the experience changing? Well, it, uh, it changes on a number of levels. The, the, uh, uh, first off, I, as I said in my earlier remarks this morning, <clears throat> customers at a rate of five to one uh, say that it's more important to have assurances of cleanliness and sanitation and hygiene with a, for a, a given brand than uh, to have a good customer experience. And what's so astonishing about that is that customer, great customer experience was the number one uh, ranked, uh, uh, if you will, uh, uh, desire uh, before the, the epidemic, before the, the pandemic. And, and so I think it's a matter of time before uh, a sh there, there, has, there have to be cues, both real, uh, tangible cues and storytelling cues that are integrated into that experience design. And every brand in every sector will have their own way of, of doing that. But I think you just have a new set of, of um, elements that uh, now matter in an experience design, uh, whether it's, uh, and again, you've talked about something that's a communication uh, uh, challenge and, 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 and that it, that's also true. Uh, but I think, you know, more broadly, people, are going to be looking for different kinds of cues now when they measure up a brand. Thanks, Russ. Alan, if I can come to you. Again, on this, uh, this topic of, of the experience, designing the experience, being creative around the experience, um, how do you think the experience is going to, going to change? Are, are there any brands that you see out there being creative in terms of, uh, of, of customer experience? Yeah, so I tend to think that there's going to be a flight to quality for sort of our traditional more offline experiences because people are going to calculate at least for maybe let's say in their year, six months is the shortest, that there's a, uh, a risk endemic to uh, anything they take. So it's not going to be for something that's not really worth it. And so I think you'll see things that are commodities move more and more towards online. So think about like 
how you buy your paper towels, right? Those are the type of things I think will go to Amazon, subscribe and save all day long. So I think the question for us as marketers is like, how do we make clear that we are a sort of high value service um, that if you are going to make, you know, three trips out of the house a day instead of 10, right? Why you should come to us, right? And so I think that's sort of the, the, the thing that's really critical. And then so to answer your question around experience, I think it goes hand in hand with, you have to build an experience that's worth leaving your house for, right? And it has to be valuable, it has to be helpful, it has to be interesting, it has to be unique. Um, and so I think that's the sort of the larger thing you'll see is just an overall flight to quality. And I'm actually kind of excited in a silver lining sense that I think you'll see a lot of really innovative and creative things emerge from this um, because people will want something different. Okay, thanks, Alan. Rohit, um, you, you're, you're harvesting techniques of, of very forensically researching a number of organizations and, and, uh, uh, and, ex and experiences. Um, how do you feel that, the, that brands are changing the experience for us? And, and who, who is likely to win in this, in this game in terms of the, 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 consumer, the customer experience? Well, I think, I mean, if you, if you just use retail as an example, uh, one of the biggest topics in retail for I don't know how long has been omni-channel. Uh, the idea that you can buy things however you want to. You can go into the store if you want to. You can go to the live event if you want to. You can buy it through e-commerce. You can buy on your phone. And I think the brands that will win are the ones that have already and will continue to invest in omni-channel because, yeah, I agree with Alan. Like some people will will feel like, the experience of going to a store and shopping for clothes, for example, is worth a risk, whatever amount of risk that is. Some people will say, why would I ever do that? I'll just shop for clothes online and I won't go into any stores at all ever. I don't, want, I don't care about that. I don't care about the risk. I'll order medium and large or whatever and I'll keep the one that fits and I'll return the other one, right? Um, so I think that the brands that will win are the ones that say to the customer, there isn't a right way to experience our brand and what we sell you can come however you want to. You could come into the store and we have that in some ways and that's an experience and we really invest in the experience of it. So it's not just, here's some stuff on shelves, come and check it out, nothing's in stock. That's not gonna fly anymore. People will want some sort of retail experience in order to even go into the retail uh, experience in real life. And if they don't want to do that, then they have to be able to purchase in all these other ways as well. And I think, so what that's going to mean is an increase in, in the ability to shop through e-commerce, maybe more affiliate uh, relationships, affiliate dollars, affiliate marketing, maybe more partnerships between retailers, uh, specifically in that sector. Like that's kind of what I'll be watching. Thanks, Robert. Um, Bob, question to you. Um, the, the, the past few weeks, um, I like, pretty, I can guess all of you, I've not been going to restaurants. Um, we've not been going to the movies. We've not been jumping on and off aircraft. Uh, we've not been doing all of those things that we might normally do. Um, I've, I've not missed it greatly. Uh, uh, we've survived. Um, Bob, has the, do you think the consumer has changed? I think there will be. I think, yes, I think the consumer is changing, and I think it's going to be. I mean, obviously, this. Hate to, hate to use the cliche, but unprecedented times. And, uh, you know, I think no one knows for sure when we, we come out of the um, long, dark tunnel and see the light, you know, what that light's going to look like, meaning are people going to swarm back to restaurants? Uh, how gradually might some people uh, proceed as we're all talking, you know, back to a store, for instance, um, or, 
or to sporting events, even if we can. So, so yeah, I think absolutely we're going to see some changes. Personally, I don't think it's going to be the same maybe ever than as it was before the pandemic. I mean, sad, but, but maybe not. Maybe, you know, there's going to be a lot of silver linings that, um, geez, you know, horrible circumstances, um, sad, tragic, but maybe it, 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 at the end of the, the, all of this, you know, there are some positives that, that, that come out of it. Um, you know, I think only time will tell. I don't think nobody has the answer, but I do think, yes, because people, technology, this has accelerated the use of technology. This has accelerated, you know, people going to Amazon realizing, hey, they don't have to go to the store. Like you said, hey, maybe I don't miss the restaurant that much. Personally, you know, I miss my Red Sox baseball and, and I hope the Patriots play football in the fall. But, you know, I might not miss them as much as I, uh, you know, as I, as I thought I would if, if, if this goes on uh, for, for much longer. I, I tend to disagree in the long term. Like, I think there's sort of like a six to 12 month period. But I think you look at like, you know, Spanish flu 1918, followed by the roaring 20s, right, which literally was all about parties and consumption and sort of all this stuff. So I, I tend to think as humans, like, we're pretty wired to do certain things. And I'm sort of skeptical that like, long term it'll change. Um, but maybe I'm just a eternal optimist. Thanks, Alan. Right? Have, have you changed as a consumer? Uh, or, or as Alan says, when it all gets back to normal, um, it's going to be business as usual for you? I think it's hard to say. Uh, uh, sort of speaking from the viewpoint as an educator, uh, I, I do think that there's going to be a lot of reassessment of what we do and how we do it. Um, and sort of trying to understand sort of what Alan said, sort of, you know, what's, what's, is in the in the education space, what is uh, commoditizable, right? What is sort of what everyone's going to get? What what are you going to get from every uh, institution of higher education? A lot of that is going to be you know put online, packaged, sent out, probably uh, given away for free in some respects. And then what the institutions have to sell is what's unique about the institution. Um, so I, I teach a class that we sort of call a hybrid class where we've got, it's a, a class about social entrepreneurship. And there's a law that surrounds social entrepreneurship. And there's, uh, you know, I, I deliver that in an online format asynchronously. I did that before COVID. Uh, and then there's a, a, a in-person learning component uh, where they do social entrepreneurship. They think about creating a social entrepreneur uh, entity and, and forming that entity and what it means, what it's going to do. They do marketing plans. They, they do their, their legal, their IP, you know, that, that stuff we do in person, um, in small groups, they do it in teams, you know, that, that sort of learning how to learn, learning how to um, take in new information, process it and, um, and be able to uh, you know, deliver a product based on that information. That's the stuff that I think is the, the essence of the, of the education that we're going to try to make as in-person as possible. And what we can put online, we're going to put online. Um, and, you know, assuming that we can come back to uh, in-person teaching. Uh, I think also in academia, we do a lot of uh, travel, going to conferences and, and things like that. 
I think that's going to change as well. Uh, and I, I welcome that. I, I can't go to every conference that I'd like to go to, uh, just, you know, physically impossible. Um, you know, without Hermione Granger's time uh, twister, I can't go to multiple conferences at once, but now I can drop in and out uh, if, they're, if they're done remotely. And I think we're going to start seeing a lot more done uh, remotely. So I think that there's going to be a reevaluation. Maybe we will have this sort of Roaring Twenties uh, show up. I hope not, because remember what happens after the Roaring Twenties. Um, but, uh, you know, the, I, I do think that there's going to be a re reassessment of a lot of what we're, we're doing. And Rohit, you talked about, hey, you know, it's great to get a lot more sleep than you were getting before. I totally agree. Uh, and so I think that there's going to be, um, you know, some reassessment of, uh, in a lot of areas of what we do and how we do it. Russ, have we, have we changed as, as consumers? We've gone through a period of suppressed uh, uh, demand. Um, we've, we've not consumed the things that we, we want to. It is quite an experience in our, in our lives. Um, how, how, how is it changing the consumer? I think every, uh, as we talked this morning about trying to predict the future, nobody can predict the future, but anybody can predict futures. And I think everybody, all of the panelists have just predicted an element uh, that could very likely happen uh, as part of the future. Some of them together. Uh, they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. Uh, and uh, I, I do think that uh, the one point around, you know, when something like this happens, both at a business uh, management level as well as a personal level, um, we are shocked and jarred into uh, perhaps doing things we should have been doing all along. Now, whether that has a lasting effect uh, and whether that sticks, you know, uh, much like yo-yo uh, dieting, uh, that's a fair uh, critique of, of that uh, notion. But, uh, you know, doors are shutting here for sure and windows are opening and there are going to be windows for innovation around uh, contactless products, sensors. Um, there's going to be a resurgence of preppers. Uh, it's going to probably become more mainstream. Uh, my home is my castle is going to become a much uh, more uh, um, robust uh, investment. It's already been a set of investments that have been taking place, whether it's home gyms, home offices. Uh, people have rediscovered their kitchen. Uh, they know where you know things are, to, uh, uh, cooking implements that they didn't know they had. Um, you know, the rich uh, are firing their nannies and learning their children's names. Uh, there's all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, uh, new experiences. The mobile, uh, the mobile uh, phone and the car uh, are another form of a bubble that will continue to get, uh, become more robust. Uh, daycare, childcare is going to change. Uh, medication and medicine is going to change. People don't want to die. They're going to reevaluate obesity and diabetes and heart and respiratory, and they're going to at least try for a while to uh, not be the next one who's susceptible to, uh, you know, a virus. Um, and we're going to go through some level of behavioral change, whether it's dropping the handshakes or uh, making people take a temperature before they're seated in a dining room. Uh, and of course, schools and education have been changed forever. So I think a lot of these things maybe were uh, uh, 
at work already in our society, and now this is just a, a this is a, a, a power surge that will move many of these things forward. And I think we've gone through like 10 years of digitization in three months. Uh, so I think that, you know, the change will be profound. Thanks, Russ. Um, one, one thing I would like to just explore again, we, we started to touch upon it, is the notion of storytelling. Um, uh, if, if we accept that the experience is, is, uh, has primacy, but storytelling adds value to that. Um, Rohit, in, in, the, in the circumstances that we find ourselves in, as we transition into this post-pandemic world, albeit one that coronavirus may well continue to stalk us in some way, possibly for decades to come, how do, how do brands tell important stories? Uh, how, how, how do they engage with, their, with their, their consumers in a meaningful way? I think there, were, there has been an opportunity for some time, and, and maybe now it's, it's more than ever, uh, to not tell a story based on the marketing campaign you want to run. And a lot of times I think we translate as marketers, we translate storytelling for campaign. Like we take those two words and we're like, okay, let's just tell the story through a campaign. Uh, and instead uh, have an opportunity to tell a story behind the scenes. And what I mean by that is show people how you make what you make, show them how your team does what they do. Uh, think documentary instead of uh, film and movie and when you start thinking that way, what it allows you to do is, is maybe be a little bit more authentic. I mean, one of my favorite examples that I use in, in a lot of talks is what happens at the end of every Jackie Chan film. Because if you think about it, like he's doing all these crazy stunts and all these impossible things. And at the end of the movie, he shows you the outtakes. He shows you all the times when he screwed up the stunt, when he ran into the wall, when he, you know, three guys run over and cart him off because he almost broke his arm or fell off a building. And, you know, when you see all, when you see him do all of that stuff, you realize just how hard he works. Mm. He brings it to life for you because he does what every math teacher you ever had told you to do. He shows his work. And I think that's the opportunity for storytelling here. It's not, let's tell a great campaign or tell a story with a extended cut thir three minute ad instead of a 30 second cut down because we can just post it online now. Uh, you know, that's not what I mean by storytelling, personally. What I mean is take them behind the scenes, show them something that you wouldn't have otherwise, and, and be proactively honest. I mean, it's one thing to disclose what you're doing because some lawyer told you you have to. That's not really honesty. That's just disclosure. Um, being honest is telling people something you didn't have to tell them and showing them maybe what didn't work, maybe showing them behind the scenes of a product that failed. Uh, in my case, when I'm launching a book, I show people the covers that we didn't pick. Because all of those things give you a chance to take people behind the scenes and say, hey, this is an authentic thing. We're real people. We're dealing with stuff just like you're dealing with stuff. And we're worth believing in. And I think that's really important when you're thinking about storytelling. I, I think Rohit is, is, uh, is uh, on point there. And an allied thought to that is uh, I, I believe that, you know, uh, the employee is the new consumer. Uh, and while the consumer is obviously still important and, and, and uh, uh, you know, the high empathy uh, extended to developing solutions for the consumer is important, the employee, I think, figures more prominently now into the marketplace. And in a Rohit's example, uh, you know, would play a starring role potentially in that kind of uh, 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 reveal. And, uh, and uh, because culture... And, and talent um, have really become a sophisticated and very nuanced challenge for 
enterprises, especially as they compete for the best talent out there. And I, I do believe that that you're going to see CEOs spending more time, you know, uh, or as much time thinking about their employee, maybe more time than they are about the consumer, which is a good thing. Thanks, Russ. Bob, um, so, I mean, Rohit's just, just talked about, um, yeah, show, showing what didn't, what didn't work, um, uh, like, like the end of the Jackie Chan movies. You, you talk, in a similar vein, you talked about authenticity. Um, and showed us a, a number of videos where 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 the, the message was authentic. We also talked about you know Chewbacca mom and and, and why that that's an authentic uh, um, message in in social media. So tell tell us a bit more about that and 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 how how that might be important to to marketers going forward. Yeah, I I emphasize today in my my presentation things that I've been talking about for a long time. I'm sure everyone else has been, and that is that authenticity and transparency. And I said now during the pandemic, that's become even more important. And it's a, a terrific opportunity. Again, a silver lining for brands and businesses to, to put a face on their brand and a, a reassuring face uh, out there and, and show you have a personality, not just a pulse. These are some of the lines I use often in my presentations. Um, what Rohit was saying, you know, take people behind the scenes. I showed a Walmart ad where they had employees, uh, you know, talking about, you know, reassuring customers and saying, we're all in this together. You know, there are cliches where we might be getting tired of hearing, but I, I said, you know, companies need to show that they're in businesses, that they're aware of what's going on in the world. And, and we all crave community. We all, these are human needs and desires that, that now more than ever are, are surfacing and, and, through storytelling, using video, using, you know, podcasts, whatever it takes, but showing that there are real people behind the scenes and that not because a lawyer, as, as I think Rohit just said, uh, tells you you have to do it, but because you really, really care. Ray, I think in your presentation, you said, you know, something about no, no actors required. You know, how many times have we seen these ads where they say, you know, real customers? It's, it's like, well, it, it should be real customers. It should be real employees. And it, it doesn't have to be just the senior level. It can be the junior level. Just show you're human. And I think it, that tactic, and it, it should just be uh, genuine and authentic, uh, not a tactic, but that alone will work in more than ever in this day and age. Thanks, Bob. Um, Alan, um, your, your focus uh, in your book, The Creative Curve, and, uh, and also from your own experience setting up a, a number of businesses um are the sort of the, the skills needed to, to to succeed what what sort of skills do you think the marketer will will need going forward um you know we've talked we've talked about um the storytelling the the experience the changes to the consumers what what sort of if you were to advise somebody thinking of entering the marketing uh, uh, industry at this precise point in time, how, how should they equip themselves? So I always think about career stuff as like offensive and defensive. And so I think you want to play on both fields. So from a defensive perspective, like if you take the perspective of maybe this doesn't go well, maybe optimistic Alan shouldn't be so optimistic, right? And this leads to some protracted recession. The things that as a marketer you want to be good at is managing freelancers, managing small agencies, you know, you should assume that if you're working in-house, there's going to be very, very lean teams. 
and you're going to be relying a lot on sort of third parties to get the job done. So that's from a sort of defensive perspective. I think it's getting comfortable building up your Rolodex of freelancers. Um, that's the saying, you know, if we have a two or three year sort of low economy. On the offensive side, I think the things you're going to see that are really, you know, powerful is all the things around e-commerce marketing and just understanding how that fits into the overall experience as a marketer. I think a lot of times those two things played separately. Like there's the people who are building audience and there's people who are managing the store and all this kind of stuff. There's a car alarm going off, of course. And those two things I think will have to come together much more. You're seeing things like Instagram has like, you know, in-feed shopping now, right? This idea of where people purchase and all the techniques related to that, those are skills. I think if you're being offensive on your career, you want to invest in. Alan, don't, don't worry about your car alarm. Ray had an, an entire parade go past when he was presenting this morning. I really, I mean, someone stealing my car is horrific. <laughs> <laughs> Russ, um, the, the, the marketer, what, what, how should they be uh, equipping themselves for what, uh, for what lies ahead? Well, you know, I've been an evangelist for experience design now for, for several years. And so the, the first place I go is, is, that, uh, is to acquire uh, uh, a skill set around what intentional experience design is all about. Um, most marketers today still have a very narrow view of what it is. Um, the companies who are outperforming the S&P 500 are all design-led companies who utilize intentional experience design uh, and all the ones that come to mind for you are, are exactly those companies, the Apples, the Coca-Colas, the Disney's, the Amazon's um, and on and on. So I think uh, um, not just becoming familiar with what experience design is all about, but being able to practice it, um, uh, to uh, offer it as a, as a skill set and, and an expertise to your, whether it's to your company or to your client is critical. Uh, and the other thing I think that's important is adaptability and, and versatility. You know, uh, uh, you know, we're, uh, we're at a place where the ground shifts out from underneath us so quickly. And, uh, it's, it's a beautiful thing when someone says, you know, uh, I can do that, uh, when they were doing something else and you're wondering who in the hell is going to do it. And somebody raises their hand and says, I, I, I can do it and I'm capable of doing it because I have done it and they've been cross-trained. So uh, I would say that's an important uh, story to be able to take to a, a future employer. Thanks, Russ. Rohit, a um, couple of things I remember from what you said. Uh, you don't like cauliflower. I understand that. Um, although my mother's cauliflower cheese would make you change your mind. Um, however, you also said you're not a futurologist. Um, but I, I, if I could ask you just to put your futurologist hat on for, for a moment, what, what, are the, um, what are the products doing well? I, I, I saw an interesting figure in the Financial Times at the end of last week that the market capitalization of Zoom uh, is equal to the, the top six um, global airlines. You, you talk about Southwest and uh, IAG and, and, and all of those. Now, I don't believe that's going to be a long-term thing. Uh, somebody's going to snap Zoom up or somebody else is going to compete with them. But... What are the products, uh, and in terms of the trends that you're watching, what are the products that are doing well? What, what are the products do you think will do well in the future? Uh, I think that um, entertainment uh, as a category and the products that we rely on to kind of get our streaming entertainment will continue to do well. Uh, I 
think that uh, they've been, I mean, obviously not just Netflix and Amazon Prime, uh, but also just the streaming services of CBS, NBC announced that they have one coming up uh, and Disney Plus. I mean, these are all going to continue to do well. And I think that they're going to lead us toward uh, something in the, in the future in terms of how we get used to uh, consuming content. And I think that for a long time, the big topic of conversation in media and entertainment was unbundling, right? And the idea that now I'm not going to pay a single cable service. I'll just pay for the things that I care about. And I think we're slowly starting to see some of that become reality in terms of the highest, arguably the highest value programming. Uh, so Disney's properties, uh, the most popular stuff that they have, HBO and the most popular shows they have. All of this stuff is is piecemeal now in terms of us being able to subscribe to those. And then they'll still be bundling for a lot of different channels, maybe ethnic channels also. There's certain bundles for those where you can add them on. Um, but that's an industry that I think is going to have really interesting shift because as those platforms start to gain subscribers and have this sort of standard amount of revenue coming in, which is uh, they have, they have the, the kind of revenue most people dream of, which is the recurring revenue, right? They just, everybody subscribes and it just hits their credit card every month. And as the, as the wealth of that continues, the studio arms of each of those groups become more powerful because now they can invest in the more programming. They can acquire the best shows with the best talent. And what has already happened and what I think will continue to happen, which is a, a great source of, of uh, hope and benefit, I think, in the entertainment system is that more niche programs that perhaps would not have gotten studio opportunities before are getting opportunities to be aired now uh, because of how aggressive these studios are. I mean, there's a there's an animated cartoon on Netflix that features a uh, Indian girl detective. And a lot of it is about Indian culture and it's a great show. And it's the sort of show that you would ordinarily never see on Disney. You wouldn't see on any of those other platforms. And now you're getting more and more of that type of programming uh, coming in with, with a lot more diversity. And I think that's a, a huge opportunity and something that, that really is, uh, is a great thing. Thanks Robin. Right. Your, your, um, your book, you, you take a very long-term perspective in terms of technology and uh, and social change, what are you, what are you seeing in terms of the, the the industries that may change things? You talked about the telegraph and the railways changing the uh, the, the 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 19th century. Um, what what are the technologies that are likely to be changing the world as we as we move out of pandemic? Well, I think that the you know it's uh, I I don't know that I'm a futurist, uh, but I do I do try to ascribe by the uh, the uh, the saying you know if you want to predict the future, invent it. Um, uh, I you know I think that in in sort of the the social change world, the political world, there's going to be a lot more done uh, in the in the digital space than ever before. Obviously, that's where we are now. I mean, we've got to presidential candidate who's beaming, uh, essentially beaming out of his basement. Um, and so I think that we're, you know, we expect that both campaigns are going to spend a billion dollars each and on digital. Uh, so I, I don't think we're ever going back uh, from, from that world. I think 2016 taught us the power of digital in the, in the political space. And I think that the, um, it, you know, we're, we're 
seeing with social change advocates their ability to use hashtags and and videos. I mean, um, you know, we're seeing the videos of the of the the African American men who who've been killed, uh, and that's you know having a, a incredibly powerful effect. So I think that the uh, in the social change space, uh, you, you know, digital uh, the technologies are going to be uh, really leveraged more and more for uh, for great effect. Uh, and but what they're doing, um, and what we've been talking about all day, is they're they're personalizing these uh, these these messages. Um, there, whether it's again the the nurse who's who's projecting images, I think Bob, you showed one of those Dove ads um, with the images of the of the uh, health workers. So I think we're we're starting we're going to see that um, you know maybe there'll be the big rallies, and I think if there was a, a the ability to engage in. Um, uh, uh, political rallies uh, for you know to protest the COVID response. I think we'd see a, a massive rally, and we're you know we're starting to see people doing socially distant rallies, uh, and they're beautiful to see actually. So I think you're going to see that blend of the digital and the and the physical um, really happen in in the future. Now, predicting the future is also dangerous, right? They they talk about the 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 stock market you know it's predicted nine of the last five recessions you know we we, we may you know nobody knows anything right isn't that they, the the old saying about the the film industry nobody knows anything um, we're just gonna have to see how it how it all plays out thanks Roy Russ to to this point you you talked uh, uh, in your presentation earlier about the the death of ownership so you know what 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 do you see as 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 the technologies and the industries that are going to thrive in the uh, in the, the weeks and months ahead? Well, uh, I, I I go back to you know what I said earlier regarding uh, innovation around contactless uh, products uh, and uh, contactless experiences. Uh, and whatever that may uh, yield in the way of innovation. The, when I talk about the death of ownership, it was, as you know, in the context of what I think is a, uh, a giant uh, glacial uh, trend that uh, we only see the tip of and that the COVID virus has given us sort of a dress rehearsal and seeing how it feels when it's played out to its full um, extent, um, it'll, it will snap back into relatively normal shape. But over the long term, we're going to continue to see the sharing economy, the you know, recycling, reusing, repairing, uh, 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 downsizing, these things are all uh, unstoppable uh, influences on consumption and muting consumption and potentially moving us into negative consumption, which is 70% of the GDP uh, in the US and maybe at least more than half most uh, other Western countries. And so you have um, a mentality in corporate, uh, corporate America and in, in really in most enterprises of, you know, got to beat last year. We have to have sell more this year than last year and next year more than this year. And, and that uh, there, there simply may be a demand shock uh, that will catch up 
based on people's behaviors that are slowly but surely changing. And I think preparing for what that world looks like, how a, an economy works in a anti-consumption, a negative consumption trend is a real thing that uh, we ought to be worried about. I mean, and maybe it's a good thing, but I guess the question is, can we actually live the quality of life and so forth uh, in the old formula? What's the new formula? Thanks, Russ. Alan, you, you've been involved with a number of startups. Um, if you were to be backing a startup that was about to commence business now, what, what, sort, what sort of startups do you think are going to thrive? Yeah, so I do a lot of angel investing, and um, I'd say like across the companies I'm investing right now, the ones that are um, thriving are sort of the obvious ones, where right? I'm investing in like a telemental health company. It's doing like incredibly well. Um, the sort of direct-to-consumer e-commerce companies are doing really well. Um, you know, the companies that have some offline component are not doing well. Um, and so I think that... The thing you're seeing again, and we talked about this morning, is that a lot of these trends, and someone just spoke to this, are trends that are existing that are being scrunched up, right? So like telemental health, like that was already a thing that was happening. It was, the business was working. It's just a lot of demand has been brought and pulled way up. And so I think if you think of any of the macro digital trends that we've talked about for the last five years ad nauseum, like those are just sort of on steroids right now. What I think doesn't change is like the underlying human behavior, right? Like, People want good food. They want good experiences. They want nice clothing. They want to be understood. They want to be heard. Um, and so I think you'll see all of those things be transformed in new ways. Um, but I think it'll just be different. I don't think it'll be like completely radically new. So I think for, I think for most business owners, um, you know, if you were already on a path to digitization, you're on a pretty good trajectory. If you were behind, you're not very behind. All right. Thanks, Alan. So I'm, I'm just going to bring us all back full circle to where, to where we started, the theme that, uh, that kicked this all off, the idea of re-engage and re reconnect. Um, Bob, you're a, as a practitioner with, uh, with a whole array of different clients across a, a number of different industries, as, as we move out of, of lockdown at varying speeds in different states and countries, um, what would you be advising your clients? How do they re-engage and, uh, and reconnect? What's, what's the, the, the top piece of advice that you would be giving your clients? Yeah, it's a great, great question, Will. And I, I think I kind of already harped on it, frankly, in my, uh, my presentation. And that is it's everything I've always believed, at least since social media has come about. And, and that is being yourself and, and being present and, and not you know, I have talked to some businesses where they right now during the pandemic, they want to slow things down and, and be quiet and, and not talk about what's going on in the world. And, and I, my advice actually is to the contrary and, and will be going forward that I think this pandemic has, has surfaced some of what Alan was said, saying a minute ago. And I think what we all are agreeing on it's accelerated it's put things on steroids in terms of any existing trends and i think one of those trends was authenticity and transparency and how businesses communicate with with their customers and with their employees someone mentioned that and i think it's a great point so so what i would i would advise to 
take this time. Sure, if you want to be a little quieter than usual, and, and maybe business is quieter than usual, take this time to um, build a personal brand um, uh, among you know your, your key employees and maybe some not so key employees. Um, get people comfortable putting themselves out there, expressing their true inner feelings, and 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 realize that uh, some of the basic human needs and desires now more than ever are, are what people want, and I believe what are going to help your business going forward. So that Thanks. would be my advice. Thanks. Rohit, um, so you've got a client, they've been shuttered for a few few months now. Um, what, 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 would you, what would you advise them? How, how do they re-engage and reconnect after the hiatus of a, a couple of months? Well, uh, hopefully uh, what they don't have to do is a big announcement that they're back. Because <laughs> what that would mean is that they didn't do anything while they were shut. <laughs> um, and uh, and I, I hopefully that's not the case because uh, the problem with that is, is uh, first of all, it, it just, it strikes the wrong emotion, right? I mean, nobody wants to celebrate. Um, and just because you can still, you can start to have customers back and maybe you can reopen uh, I don't believe that the right tone to strike is, hey, let's celebrate. Um, I think instead it's, uh, we missed you. Uh, let's get back together. Um, those are the types of messages that I think will resonate for people, um, especially if you didn't completely not communicate with uh, your customers or at least share something with them in the interim. So uh, if you're before that moment of kind of reopening, uh, try and engage people before that. Try and give them something uh, in terms of an update, uh, as things are going, even if you're not really doing much, say, Hey, this is what we've, this is what we've been reading. This is what we've been doing, right? Like, uh, at least with, with some of that customer base. And when you do reopen, uh, I would think about how do you, uh, bundle, how do you simplify, how do you create something that is a little bit easier? I mean, one of the, one of the things I love, uh, this is kind of the mentality to use, right? One of the things that I love about uh, digging into, I dug into the whole process that is used for a franchisee who's going to be kind of opening a McDonald's. And one of the most clever things they do as part of their whole McDonald's university experience is they take someone who's going to open a restaurant and they make them work in a McDonald's that's inside of a department store or inside of like a Target or something like that. Uh, because a McDonald's like that just has food and customers, but no drive-through. So it's easier. It's simplified. It's stripped down. And if you can get that right, then you can kind of create the entire McDonald's, right? And I think that mentality is something that we can all use right now. Say, what's the stripped down version of this? Do I need my full menu or can I have a, a, an abbreviated menu? Do I need all my products or can I have some of the products? Like how do I curate this experience so people need to maybe spend less time inside of my store if I have a physical space? I make it easier for people to buy from me. Uh, and um, I'm reopening kind of responsibly instead of just a big blast with fireworks saying, Hey, it's 4th of July. Um, let's celebrate. Uh, like, I don't think that's the way to do it. Thanks Robert. Ray, um, a final takeaway on the topic of re-engage and reconnect. Well, I, you know, I think in the education space, things are going to change, uh, dramatically. Uh, I think there's going to be some, some sorting out, uh, some, you know, Weaker institutions are going to have a really hard time if they're not able to be 100% uh, in person uh, the way they were, you know, in fall of, of 2019. And I, 
I just don't know what institutions will be able to be 100% in person. So I think we have to, um, you know, reconnect with with our students and spend a lot more time and sort of if we if we have to in in virtual uh, office hours and just you know just connecting with with our students um, in uh, in ways that are not necessarily a formal, uh, you know, teacher student um, uh, interaction communication. And I think that that's something that we have to, I, I mean, do in, in a lots of different uh, areas that we have to sort of rethink uh, relationships and rebuild trust and re and rethink how we do those things. Um, some of it's going to be virtual. Some of it hopefully is going to be um, in, in real life. But I think that we, we found sort of Alan pointed to this before about you know the organizations that were on the path to digitization are are farther along now and I think Russ said you know we we digitized uh, three years in three weeks or something to that effect and I think that's about right um, and so I think that we're you know we're going to find that um, we're we're going to be better off because of those uh, those changes that we've made but we have to keep the things that are we have to remember to keep the things that are valuable about uh, the non-digital interactions. Thanks, Ray. Alan, you're, you're involved in a number of businesses. Um, how, uh, how will they re-engage and reconnect? Um, I think for a lot of people, it's going to come down to the human element and the employees behind it. So I think what you'll see is that some brands are very employee forward. Um, and I think actually Walmart has been doing a good job and I guess it's controversial to say, but they're doing this whole thing around how their workers are essential and they're sort of building a lot of team spirit around being essential. And I just think that sort of message to me resonates a lot around we care about our employees. We care about our consumers. We know our employees are the people who care for our consumers. Uh, and so I think the brands that re-engage the best will be very employee forward, take safety very seriously, um, have a lot of precautions that feel, you know, reasonable and secure. Um, and so, yeah, I think that those are the you're going to do it and it's going to be terrible. <laughs> Thanks, Alan. And, and Russ, you, you started us off today. Um, perhaps you'd bring us in on the home straight. Um, what re-engage and reconnect. If you are advising businesses and, and organizations about how, as we move out of lockdown, how they engage with their, with their consumers, what, what, what would your, what would your best advice be? Well, I, I, uh, I like the idea of setting up scenarios around uh, trajectories of hope uh, and trajectories of fear um, and playing those out in, in, uh, in terms of how each of those trajectories of, would inform decisions and, and decision uh, trees. Uh, and a few of the comments that were made by others about uh, people who turned inward and went, went quiet uh, there's um, the, the literature shows that there's there was there's been no sort of historic epic event, whether it be hurricanes or recessions or wartime, where uh, the companies that um, leaned in and were present during that uh, episode, whatever it was, came out better on the other side than those who went silent. Uh, so I think that's, that's number one, uh, uh, number, uh, so the other pieces I respectfully disagree, I think with Rohit, uh, I think, uh, uh, 
you know, I think it's time to throw the, uh, the melancholy piano uh, tracks out and, uh, and, uh, and celebrate uh, at some point, uh, you know, in, in a nuanced way, but I don't think you, there's any problem um, projecting confidence and optimism and joy um, while also taking seriously, you know, what's happened and, and what may yet happen. Uh, Americans don't uh, do well uh, with, uh, you know, with that melancholy tone for, for very long, in my opinion. And I think brands that, uh, you know, uh, I mean, brands that, that, that were in that vein to begin with were lost in a sea of it. You know, you could literally uh, run soundtracks of one commercial with the video of another commercial, and they were, you know, indistinguishable. So I think yeah, people may want some level of uh, assurance, and we talked about them needing evidence of uh, of the measures that are being taken to keep them safe and so forth. But um, I think you know some some form you know in quotes of of celebration of of uh, you know things are going to be okay is kind of what the what the world is craving for. Thanks, Russ. I would just love like to say, uh, Alan Gannett, uh, Ray Brescia. Russ Klein, Rohit Bhargava, and Bob Cargill, thank you very much for, for being part of this uh, summit today. Um, you, you've been amazing. Um, thank you for all talking about the, the topic of re-engage and, uh, and reconnect the future shape of, uh, of marketing. Um, we have recorded it, uh, and, and I think it, uh, uh, for, for those who would like to watch it back, it does form quite an interesting treasure trove from a number of different perspectives, which is why we, we chose you to come here. Thank you so much for listening to episode 10 of the Capital Marketer podcast. To listen to this as well as past shows, head on over to our website, nymarketing.org, where you can find out about some of our very interesting webinars coming up. We have some open board positions. You can learn more about those facebook.com slash Nycrama, and that's N-Y-C-R-A-M-A. On Twitter and Instagram is also the same handle. We hope you enjoyed this special panel. We'll be back in July with the Passing the Torch event here on the Capital Marketer Podcast. <laughs>